One of the main themes this morning is the work of the Holy Spirit in the church. That means in your life that the Christians have a personal helper, if you like, the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible teaches, that he guides his people. Now, Scripture reminds us, church, that, that God is in control, that his hand is upon your life. And we need to be reminded of that today. That if you know the Lord today, that you're not just let loose spinning through this universe, as people would let you believe, but, but the Bible teaches that his hand is firmly upon our lives. And for some of you, that's good news this morning. It's good to be reminded of these things. Now, as Christians, we often do and, and sometimes will take wrong turns in our life every now and again. But the thing about the guiding hand of God is that he often leads us back to them green pastures. Not often, he always leads us back to them green pastures. He causes the church to be a light um, to this generation. And that's what you are today, Christian. You mightn't feel you're that bright of shining in this world, but make no mistake about it, the Holy Spirit upon you and in you, you are a light to the people that you encounter throughout the week. So I want to bring that um, out a little bit today, and I'm going to start off with Isaiah 42 and verse 6. Listen to the, world, the words of this text, it's wonderful words that are promised to the church, to every believer. And take this personal this morning, because it's, it's the word of God for the church, for, for his people. I, the Lord, have called you for a righteous purpose. There's your purpose. And I will take hold of your hand, and I will keep you and appoint you to be a covenant for the people and to be a light for the nations. Light for the nations. One verse which will lead into to deeper teaching. Now, God's hand is upon your life and my life this morning, and every believer, and that's what the Bible teaches, that's what the enemy doesn't want you to believe, but we need to understand that them divine encounters that we find ourselves having aren't just by chance. Them opportunities that we have to share the gospel, to pray for people, they're not just by, by chance. God's hand is upon the church. It's what the Bible teaches. I, the Lord, have called you. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. And it says you will be a light to the nations. It's not a possibility or a maybe. Uh, but there's something and there's someone that wants to rob that light. There's a great enemy of the church. And, and we see the, the great his hand at work in our world today. The, the world we live in is shrouded with so much ungodliness and, and anger and filth. And we can see his handiwork. So there is opposition to your light. There is someone, an, an evil force at work that would seek to, to cloud out your light. And we see that in the lives of people. But, but listen, we're not, we're not left alone. In John chapter four, 14, verse 6 it speaks about a helper, the Holy Spirit, which is given to the Christian to abide with them, it says, forever. Not just for a week when we're feeling good or a month when we think we've got it made. It says forever. That means ordinary men and women of God are empowered to live for God. Ordinary, ordinary people empowered by God for God. Now, in the book of Acts, we see and we read about the birth of the early church and I just want to tell you something about the early church because we can have preconceived ideas about these people. We can set them in pedestals that they never stood on and, and never intended to stand on. But it was a small group of men and women who were called by God for a righteous purpose. And, and what we notice is that he takes this group of, now they were weak people and they were double-minded people. And he fills them with this Holy Spirit that the Bible speaks about. And what we read right throughout the rest of Scripture is that these men and many men who would follow 
turn the world upside down for the gospel. Think of that. Twelve men, it says, turned the world upside down. In fact, it's through their ministry and the fire that fell upon them that you and I are, are saved today. You understand there, there, there's a power that is so much greater than anything that we could bring to the table. These men turned the world upside down. This fire is what's known as the baptism, the infilling of the Holy Spirit that fell upon the early church and every believer ever since. We possess something that perhaps we've forgotten about. There's a power source that every Christian carries and possesses. And at any moment, you and I can do great things for God when we discipline ourselves and fix our eyes upon him and believe him that when we step out in faith, when we do things in his name, that things will happen. And see, there's a fear in that. There's a fear, well, what if I go to do this and it fails? What happens if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed? What happens if I point somebody to Jesus and they make some sort of commitment, but they don't follow on? There's loads of what ifs. But we, we are men and women who are called to, to, to go out in that name and to believe what the word teaches. And I want us to be reminded today or to be mindful in our own personal lives of this helper, this helper for you personally this morning. As Christians, we can think that all we are here to do is to save the world and it's all about the world, but it's about you as much as it is about the world. We have been given a helper to help us, to help the church to, 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 to do great exploits for the Lord. Now, the first church example presented to us was in scripture and this is not a promotion of pentecostalism because we're a pentecostal church it's what the bible teaches the first church was a pentecostal church churches today that are sensationalists that, that that they just don't think there's a need for the holy spirit how do we live how do we do anything in our own strength and i understand it's not as black and white there's certain gifts that some believe they aren't relevant for today anymore. We've got, the, we've got the scriptures. I understand it in part, but I think what happens is there's this idea that the Holy Spirit is a taboo word, that we don't need it. We certainly don't talk about it, and, and we don't want to look into it too deeply. Church, without the Holy Spirit, we're dead. Without the Holy Spirit, the community that you're going to reach, you're not going to reach them. The people in your home that aren't saved are not going to be saved. Otherwise, if you say we don't need the Holy Spirit, it's all on your shoulders. I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm not carrying that one. I can do nothing, absolutely nothing, to reach a person of God, a person with God outside of the move of the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, the first church was a Pentecostal church, and I want to say this to, to you, church. Don't neglect the Holy Spirit in your life and your ministry. Understand who he is. Educate yourself. Because there's been a deception given to us. The Bible teaches us about the Holy Spirit. He's the third person of the Godhead. He's not an add-on to who God is. He's not just some way assistance. It's God. It's God the Father. It's God the Son. It's God the Holy Spirit. Understand who this Holy Spirit is. M many fear or even reject the infilling of the Holy Ghost and I did it myself for many years because I was looking at the wrong people and the wrong things. Now that I know they're called strange fires. I once thought these strange fires was the Holy Spirit and I didn't want it because it was strange. Then I realized as I matured that it was just strange fire. To be filled with the Holy Spirit 
church is to be filled with God himself. That's the truth of it. To be filled with him is to be filled with God. And what Christian doesn't want to be filled with God? And, and that brings us to our first part, uh, point this morning, if you're taking notes. The Christian's power source is the Holy Spirit. The Christian's power source is the Holy Spirit. Now, I know there's many weak Christians today, and that's why I've entitled it as such. The reason you're weak is you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You need to surrender your life to him afresh. Open your heart up afresh to him. Be so reliant on him that you will find yourselves doing great things and living for him. Now, here's what I want to say. Satan has done a great job today of filling the minds of people, but also God's people, of all types of evil and fears. There's many people today of fears in their life. Many people, some people can't leave their homes. Anxieties and all these things, and, and that spirit, God doesn't give a spirit of fear. Now, Satan attacks men and he dries up their souls. And if you notice today, in, in many people's lives, there's hopelessness that fills their hearts. Come on. One thing where I found myself at the age of 24 was a sense of hopelessness. And I haven't experienced that. I've experienced a sadness. I've experienced normal emotions when I come to faith. We're not immune to, to sadness as such, but the sense of hopelessness was gone. And the gospel takes away hopelessness. And if you look at your family that aren't saved, look at your work colleagues, look, look at your employers, perhaps wealthy, wealthy men, perhaps. But if you look closely, there's a hopelessness outside of Christ. And, and that's what Satan does. He, he, he attacks the minds of people and he, he dries up their soul that, so much that he, in fact, turns them against God and he fills their hearts with hopelessness. But church, we are told to renew our minds and to fill it with the things of God and the truth of his word. And we need to do that. Otherwise, we will be deceived too. In Ephesians 5, we're told also to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's the Christian's power source. It's what makes us and helps us overcome and have victory in our own personal battles. It, it's, it's the power source of the church. See, here's the thing. Satan seeks to fill you with everything but the things of God. Have a think to, to yourself and, and consider your own life. How easy it is to fill your life with everything but. Is that by chance? And the reason is that if we fill our minds and our hearts with all the wrong stuff, what happens is that power that we possess becomes powerless and we forget we even own it. It's like having a, a Lamborghini sports car out in the garage and forgetting you have it and driving about in your wee micro. Anybody got a micro? Please don't be offended. They're a class car. I'm trying to think what car somebody doesn't have. Micros are really good. Does anybody have a micro? No? Oh, bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. It's always the way. And they are a great joke. <laughs> easy text, easy insured, easy fuel. Wise man. <laughs> well, you know what I'm trying to say, don't you? We've got a, this supercar, okay? And instead of driving the supercar, we drive the, the sensible wise man's car, yeah? And you see, that's the problem. And that can happen as Christians. We can, be, we can have this power source, but we, we don't use it. We forget we have it. We just tickle through life when we could be soaring through life. Satan seeks to fill us with all the wrong things. Church, don't neglect this spirit, this Holy Spirit in your ministry that will stop him. Don't stop him working in you because you know why? It stops you being changed to the image of Christ. The enemy made it his business to benittle the Holy Spirit, to mock him and to cause the church to disregard him. Now, I know this. Satan is the 
He's, a, he's not just a liar, he's the father of lies. The Bible says he's a great deceiver and he's going to deceive the whole world and is deceiving the whole world at present. And he tries to steal from the church this power source that the Bible speaks about. Now he's told great lies about the work of the Holy Spirit. And I have myself fallen for many of them over the years. And you know what he has done? And I, I've observed this. He, he's used foolish men and women to act foolishly and to call it a move in the spirit. Have you ever experienced that? I have. See, when men act foolishly and they name it as being a move of the spirit, the question that, that I ask myself and you need to ask yourself is this. Does these people in their actions glorify Jesus? Is, is what they're doing glorifying and reverent and holy? God amplifying? And if it's not, you need to ask yourself another question. And the question I ask myself is, if this doesn't glorify Jesus, then what type of spirit is it that causes these people to act in such a way? See, Satan has countered a, a counterfeit, or created, sorry, a counterfeit spirit. He's a counterfeit trinity. He's a, he's a counterfeit holiness. There's a counterfeit church. There's counterfeit doctrines. Even his own angels of darkness can dress up as preachers and stand behind pulpits. He's a counterfeit, and there's a counterfeit spirit that Satan has created. And the way, the way I recognize it is now is it lifts up man. It doesn't lift up Jesus. It lifts up the person who's, who's portraying this move. What I see is in Scripture and in the lives of God's people is when the Holy Spirit moves upon them in their lives, Jesus is lifted up in their life. Jesus is lifted up in their actions in their words and how they deal with stuff. Is that a fair thing to say? When, when men act foolishly, all I see is man. But when men are, 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 are moving in the spirit and women are moving in the spirit, I see Jesus in their lives. The Holy Spirit lifts up Jesus in the man. It's not the other way around. And empowers the believer to glorify Jesus in his life. I want you to listen, listen to the words of the great apostle Paul. Because when you look at Paul's life closely, you'll find that he wasn't unlike any of us. Well, there are certain traits now. <laughs> he was unique. But listen to his words in 1 Corinthians 2, chapter, verse 4. He says, my, my message and my preaching, he says. Now listen to this. He's known as a great preacher, a great apologetic. He's known as a great revivalist. And listen to what he says. See my message. See my preaching. It wasn't done with very fancy, convincing words of wisdom. Are you hearing that? It wasn't how he spoke. He wasn't eloquent. He was very educated, but he wasn't eloquent. And he says, my preaching was not in convincing words of wisdom, but it was in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit, you see? See, when the Spirit of God moves upon ordinary men and women, ordinary men and women move in God in ways they never thought possible. And that's what we see happens. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul didn't draw attention to himself in fact, it was the opposite. He lifted up Jesus in his life and in his ministry. Under the influence of the Spirit, Christ was seen and Paul wasn't. In the name of Jesus Christ, Paul saw many things done. Many things done and many lives restored. So church, drink in the spiritual things of God. Through his word, through the worship, through fellowship, through the breaking of bread and the various types of prayers, through evangelism, through personal witnessing, our souls are replenished and filled again with the Spirit of God. So that's our first point, empowered, 
uh, as Christians, to, to live as, as Christians, parse or sorry, as the Holy Spirit. Now, the second one is going to be a bit of a challenge one for us this morning, but that's okay. That's what the Word does, and if we want to be great witnesses, we need to make sure our witness is correct. So our second point is uh, the Christian witness, uh, possessing a clean vessel. Uh, that's important today, isn't it? Possessing a clean vessel. I want to take that text from 1 Thessalonians 1 and 5. You don't need to turn to it for the second time, but let me read it to you. Paul says this, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Let me read it to you again. We know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. What I see here, church, is these first century men of God, they, they stood out from the world around them. In their preaching and in their living, they impacted the world. Now, this is a theme right through the New Testament. And today, their living still impacts the world because we preach about them. We preach about them today and how they acted and how they lived for God and how they've seen a great work done. Now, listen to word, Paul's words again. You know, Paul said, what kind of men we prove to be among you. What kind of man are you this morning? Man, I'm speaking to you. What kind of man are you today as a Christian? What kind of man are you in your workplace? What kind of man are you in your home? What kind of man are you when you're up the street? Do you know this world is filled with twisters? Have you noticed that of late? Everybody's angry and everybody's a twister. And everybody wants to try and cut you or, or manipulate you. There's very few people now. What kind of man are you, Christian? Woman. What kind of woman are you? That's what Paul's saying. What kind of woman are you as a Christian witness? We know what you say, but, but what sort of woman are you among the people? And that's what the scriptures are saying to us. And I love it because it, it takes me and it shakes me. And I pray that it takes you this morning and it shakes you because you're an ambassador for the gospel. What sort of man are you, Paul says? What sort of woman? See, the, the early church, they, they proved what kind of men they were in the public square. Thank God. Do you know what's easier to be? It's easier to be a holy man in the prayer meeting. It is. And I thank God for them. Because normally when I leave them, I'm a better holy man than I was when I went into them. But it's not where we be the holy man. What sort of man are you? What sort of woman? And Paul spoke about this. Now remember, we're speaking about a helper. There's a power source that helps us be the man that we want to be. The husband that we want to be. The, the, the father that we want to be because we all fall short and we all have aspirations to be more and to be better men, to be better women, to be better mothers, better wives. We're, we're not saying we've reached the pinnacle but what we are saying, there's a parcel source that we possess as Christians that can help us be the sort of man in the public square that we desire to be. Now I want you to notice Paul speaks about having a power but he also in the same sentence says about having conviction of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing, without conviction in the life of the believer of the Holy Ghost, there'll be no power, there'll be no holiness. Paul lived his life for God and he refused to act foolishly. He controlled the flesh. He, 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 he talks about whipping his body, which I wouldn't encourage you to do, but he says, I beat my flesh. You see, he was so, un, he was so concerned about being disqualified from preaching by his living that he actually beat himself. That he could preach the gospel without being questioned on it. Very few can do it. Paul lived his life for God. And, and what I see is the early church influenced the world they lived in by their living. 
There's something about that. And I've never really noticed it before, that how important our preaching is, but how important our behavior is. Isn't it? How, how important we, it is how we speak to somebody, how we treat somebody. Are we graceful to people? Or are we quick to point out the failures of, of other people? Because I've had to stop myself many times. Look at your man. Look at your woman. Come on. And that's what, we're, that's what we see. These people influence the world by their living. And verse 6, Paul says, We lived well among you. And it says this, And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. See, how we live will impact the, the, the community that we live in and how we act. You want godliness to walk the streets? Act godly. We were, in, we were at the Victorian Day yesterday in Armagh, and, and, and Rebecca was telling me an interesting story that a few of her friends were in, and they'd got food in, in, in one of the shops, but one of their friends just didn't have enough money to, to get food for the other friend and whatnot, and they, they tried to, to gather up enough. And, and, and the guy who was serving them decided that he, he set them free, he gave the wee girl food, and he gave her a drink, and there was no charge. And I have to say, as Rebecca was telling me this, I was dumbfounded. Do you know how rare that is? Do you know how rare that is? I remember being at a school fair and they were charging three fifty for we think of strawberries that size. And a child went up to buy two and, and there was 20p short. And they actually told the child to go away. Honestly, talking about tipping trailer tables, that's what it felt like doing to the man. You, you see, there, there, there's, there's, a, there's a selfishness in man. And, and just when I heard that story yesterday, it restored a little bit of something in humanity. What sort of man are you? In the public square what sort of woman are you when the woman in front can't pay her bill you know you know what i mean it's, there's so much in it in our living and how we can act can be the greatest gospel preaching we can ever do we act like that can 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 win can win a nation and these people of of paul's they start to imitate them as they imitated the lord and this tells us that the early church changed the world in two ways the first way was by their preaching. The second way was by their living out of the gospel. And the reason many believers, now forgive me for saying this today, but it has to be said because I felt led to say it. The reason many believers are cold today and not seeing God move in their lives the way they would like them to see is because of their lifestyle choices. And I want to say that as a man that wrestles myself um, in this world, I'm not... I'm not don't get a pardon from it but there's many people today and their lifestyle choices is poor they've allowed bad habits uh, one at a time to come back into their life and here's the thing when, when we first come to save in faith our vessels be cleansed and swept the bible teaches that cleansed out and our burdens is lifted from us Do you remember them days and and there's a peace enters into our souls that's what happens when a man a woman saved but as time goes by what happens to some is that on instead of filling their lives their, their clean vessel with the things of God they begin to fill it with the things of the world now listen Christian we're not perfect here go I but by the grace of God we're, we're not speaking holiness to a level here that's as condemnationary but I want to say this to you because I said to myself you and I are responsible for what we let into our lives. Amen? Sure, you're glad you come this morning. But here's the truth of the gospel. Any man or any woman in Christ is a new creation, but we are still responsible for what we let into our lives. Now, there's an interesting text 
I want you to listen to this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. And it speaks about a return of an unclean spirit. I want to read it to you. It says this. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the dry lands, seeking place to rest, but it finds none. Then the spirit says to itself, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty and swept and is put in order. And then it goes away and it brings with it seven other spirits that are more wicked and evil than itself. And they enter and they dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Let me just break that down for you. This text is referring to Israel. God has called Israel and set her apart as a nation. A nation that the, the gospel that Christ himself would come through. But he declared her holy, he set it apart holy like the church is, and he cast out the, the demonic influence that once resided within her as a picture of the new man. Now we're told that this spirit that was cast out of this person, that, which is Israel, returned with seven other spirits more stronger and wickeder than itself. It's the wrestle that we face every day, the temptations that come our way, the challenges that come our way. At times it can be over, overburning. That, that's what happens. And this nation ends up in a worse state than it was before God had called her. Now, what's the key to understanding this verse and this personal application for our lives? Well, it's found in the verse 44, but I'll read it to you. It says, The demonic spirit says to itself, I will return to my house from which I came. Now listen. And when it comes, it finds the house empty. Empty. That's the... That's the key word to understand in that verse, that scripture. Ante. There's too many Christians and they're walking about ante. Ante. Now Israel didn't fill her newly cleansed vessel with the things of God. It remained ante. Do you know what happened? Over time what happened? What is Israel renowned for? Idols. Idols after idols after idols. Baal worship, all the things of the day became acceptable to her. And over time, she let ungodly spirits back into herself and they filled the house with ungodly things and defiled the nation. Now, now Christian, I want to say to you this morning, fill your life with the things of God. If you're newly saved, fill your life with God. If you're saved 40 years, fill your life with God. Fill it with the things of God. An empty Christian will not stay empty for too long. Idols will soon make its way back into our, our vessels. Now, many a Christian today is backslidden. They find themselves in a worse state than they were before they were saved. And that's what this scripture is warning us about. We must fill our lives with the things of God. We can't just justify on God the living and think, well, well sure, the grace of God abounds for us which it does. These people find themselves in a worse state than when they were saved, before they were saved. There's an old hymn. I wouldn't dare to try to sing it, but I do love it. Have you any room for Jesus? He who bore your load of sin. sin. Does anybody remember that whole hymn? Wonderful, wonderful hymn. And if the team could sing it, it would be great. Ansley. Ansley's eyes is like spinning around in her head. Hillsong doesn't sing that song. No, it's definitely not. It's a wee bit older than that. Julie might know it, actually. Is that right, Julie? No? It's too modern for you. 
We need somebody in the middle here. Old gospel hymn, Have You Any Room for Jesus? Now listen, although it was written, directed at the unsaved for gospel preaching, well, maybe we'll do it for our next mission, we'll get it, we'll get it learnt. But its words speak to the Christian whose vessel has been filled with worldliness. In the second verse it says this, Room for pleasure, room for business, but for Christ the crucified, not a place that he can enter in the heart in which he died. Room for pleasure, room for business, but no room for God. Well, it's easy. It's easy, church. Listen, it's easy. It's easy to fall into that trap. It's easy to discipline. It's hard at times. And we need a helper, and we have been given a helper. The reason I'm highlighting these things to you is not to condemn you, but I want to stir up within you a remembrance that you have been given something. You possess a helper, church. You possess a helper that can cause you to burn for Christ and to live for Christ and to fill your life with Christ. Now, how many people have fallen into that snare of pleasure and business and found themselves shipwrecked? Life's once lived for Christ, now burdened with idols and all sorts of curves overrun them. That's what happens. Christian, fill your life with the things of God. Make room for Jesus. Now, listen, I know there's many businessmen here, and we can sometimes wrongly condemn people who's doing well. Listen, it's not about that. The, the Bible's filled with wealthy men. King David, King Solomon. The, the Bible's filled with wealthy, wealthy men. Job, wealthy, one of the wealthiest farmers. Listen, it's not about if you have more money or not. We, we could be poor and still chase after all the wrong things. But the Bible gives us very clear instruction, whether you're in business or not in business, or you just want to do well, it says this, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, fill your life with God, fill your vessel, and see all them things you desire. He just gives them to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's a clean vessel. And he will give you the desires of your heart, the things you're striving for. Put him first and the things that you desire will be given to you. That's a wonderful teaching. Whatever we put before Jesus as an idol, and whatever we put before him is what we worship. There's a truth. We need to open our hearts afresh today, Christian. Let him in to cleanse the idols from our hearts. The course of that old song goes, Room for Jesus, King of Glory. Well, think of them words. Room for Jesus, King of Glory. Hasten now his word obey. Swing the heart's door open widely and bid him enter while you may. Church, remember your witness to this dying world. Keep your vessel clean and filled with the things of God. Keep it filled with the Holy Spirit that will help you and empower you to live. Now, lastly, a very short thought on Christian character. Christian character, it's committed. Committed. Um, Take a look in society today. Families have fallen apart because there's been no commitment, first and foremost. The reason there's so many motherless and fatherless children is because commitment has fallen by the wayside. Christian, I can't over-exaggerate how important commitment is to the Christian life. Be committed to what you've been called to, a righteous purpose. purpose. Acts 2 tells us this about the character of the early church. I read it out at the AGM. It's it's, the, it's, a, it's a translation that comes alive, translation is called. I want to read you about the commitment that was seen in the early church. Acts 2, it says, They all committed themselves 
actively and wholeheartedly to the apostles' teaching and training and a fellowship, meeting with and sharing with and supporting one another. They committed to the breaking of bread, to remembering Jesus' death, and different kinds of prayers, showing their constant dependence upon God. Everyone then was awestruck by an overwhelming sense of the presence of God, as the apostles did, many extraordinary signs and wonders among them. See, God was in, in their meetings. God was in their mists. It was on to say all the believers whose vessels were filled with God, may I add, were, were together and united, and they were sharing everything with, with, with one another. And it says in verse 45, they, they looked after one another, church. Here's we see a, a committed group of believers was mighty in the hands of God. Church, if you desire to be used of God, be committed to the things of God as seen in Acts. Fill your life with them things, and you'll find you'll be full. Cleanse your vessel and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I have a few wee points I just want to speak to you with when we're finished. Uh, it's simply this, what the Holy Spirit does for us according to Scripture. I'm just going to read a few out to you and then we're finished, okay? So just give me this last few minutes and we're done. Acts 2, 38 says, tells us that each of you who are saved today have been given a gift <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit. And it says in Acts 39 that the promise of this gift is not only for you and your children, speaking to the early church, but also for all people who would come afar off, that's you and I. The Holy Spirit is God's gift to you. It's part of the Trinity. And as I finish, I want to tell you some of the works of the Holy Spirit in your life and why it's so important. The Holy Spirit regenerates you and renews your spirit. Titus 3. He's a lifter of your head. He is your convictor. John 16. Thank God for his conviction, church, because without it, we'd each be in the pig pen. He's our guide. He leads us to the green pastures, David says. In our text, our opening text was, I will take your hand and I will lead you and I will keep you. He's our guide. The Holy Spirit is your teacher. He's a comforter. The Holy Ghost, it says, whom the Father will send, will teach you all things. But he's not only a teacher, but he's the author of the very word in which we preach. Peter says that holy men spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. It's our word of God, it's the scriptures, the texts. He is your keeper. Peter says he's... You're kept by the hand of God. John says you're kept by the power of God. Romans 15 tells us that he is our sanctifier. Being sanctified by the Holy Ghost, Paul writes. You're made holy by him. You're set by, apart and by him and for him for Christian service. He is our glorifier. Glorification means to adorn or clothe. It speaks about our wedding clothes. He makes us righteous. He's put on righteous garments. The definition is to honor or to beautify. The work of the Holy Spirit is to help the Christian in many ways, but one of the most wonderful things that the Holy Spirit does in our life, in the life of the church, is to make it more like Christ. It's why possessing uh, a clean vessel is so important, church. Listen to this verse in Romans 8. And those he predestined, for some reason he saw it fit to call you, for some reason, he saw it fit to call me and, and, and to predestine us. Think of it. It's not the narrative being told by this world, but it's what the Scripture teaches. He also called those he also called, he, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Here's the thing, church. What it means to be glorified is not man, as I spoke about earlier. The Holy Spirit glorifies the church by making her become more like Christ. If you want to be glorified, 
shine for him, you'll carry something. You'll you'll become more like Christ and and, and less light like this world. And the last promise is we all become a light. He says, I will make you a light to the nations.